Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study.
Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense from that Jets game. Big first game win of the season and uh, uh, Ravens with some success and openers. And this is another good one. Uh, here to talk about it with me is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how you doing? Good, Ken. Thanks for having me back on. Here you had a great weekend in Las Vegas, including watching this game. Yeah, I had a good time watching this game. We, Gabe and I talked about this on our podcast, The Situation Room. We uh, we rallied together. Gabe convinced me that we were going to we were gonna cover, and we put a big bet down on the Ravens, and uh, it was a good weekend. All right, very good. Now, I remember it was not quite as good last year when I was out there visiting you to see that Las Vegas Raiders game in week one. Uh, tell us, you, tell me you bet more this year than you did last. Oh, I bet a lot more this year than we did okay. last. Probably about good three times as much. <laughs> good, good to hear. Good to hear. I'm glad you you came out a, a couple of units ahead. Then that's uh, that's good to hear. Uh, he's at Ravens Sit Room on Twitter. Uh, that's right. He, you do the show, of course, on this very network, this very website, I should say, with uh, uh, Gabe Ferguson. There's the the Ravens Situation Room. Excellent podcast. If you're not listening to it, please do. And if you are not following Jordan for any reason, I can't think of a reason not to, or at Gabe Fergie, his uh, co-host either. So please uh, give them a follow. Let's get let's get right to talking about the game here, Jordan, though. Big win on the road. Uh, always nice to get a road game out of the way with a win. Yeah, especially first game right out of the gate. And especially, you know, I, I think it shouldn't be underplayed that the Ravens did not play their starters together at all during the preseason. Mm-hmm. And I respect and understand why they did that. And I don't have an objection to it, but I think a lot of what we saw in the first quarter was directly related to the fact that these guys were just getting their footing together, just getting in sync. It felt really scripted. It felt really intentional. It felt forced at times and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they just hadn't had time to kind of get settled in and then once they did they cut it loose that's another that's another good reason I'm going to say also being there that the weather was really bad for about the first two and a half quarters and uh, it really it let up a little bit on Duvernay's first touchdown on the second touchdown it was it was let up and on the third touchdown abatement it was it was, it was almost no rain at that point uh, and for the rest of the game, it was it was light, and the Jets mounted a couple of drives with uh, with a, some drier conditions. But I think that was part of what went wrong. You know, obviously a very inefficient uh, offensive effort. They they had a few big plays, which was fantastic. Uh, a big penalty, a couple of good touchdown passes, three in fact good touchdown passes. Uh, not much other than those. Yeah, no, there were there wasn't a ton, but I think drops. Had, you know, when you talked about the rain a little bit, I think drops had to do it a little bit with that Lamar and likely not getting game reps together. I think there were a couple times where they need to just get a little bit more synced up and on the same page. And as those things come together, you're going to see some progression. I think there, there were those were there were I I counted two or three drive stallers. Um, mm-hmm. The Bateman drop was absolutely a killer. Um, the first likely drop, I thought he should have caught it. Gabe thought maybe you know. It was a little bit more of a pass, but those were balls he was catching in the preseason and, you know, tough traffic, kind of tougher conditions. And so, um, you know, if they can come down with those catches, I think that I think they would have gotten a little bit more of that rhythm a little bit sooner. Yeah, I, I thought maybe two of his four targets he really could have had. It was a high one. There were there was a low one at his knees. There was another one that was a little bit behind him, but all three of them were catchable balls uh at the edge within the range of catchability obviously they're lower percentage catches but still you figure him for at least one reception out of three kind of catchable balls like that and uh and that did make a difference in the game you know and we, we, and we saw that from him in the preseason so i i think you know a combination of nerves and weather were a big part of what we got from that and 
Lamar did not hesitate or shy away from going back to likely. They didn't take mm-hmm. him out of the game plan. They kept him in line, which a lot of folks thought that, you know, likely wasn't going to, well, he was, he was particularly bad in the preseason about block, run blocking in line, but the Ravens kept him in all those spots. So willing to take their lumps a little bit and in, in those kind of situations. And I think you need those kind of reps to see that kind of progress as the season continues. Yeah, I agree. I obviously unfortunate with the holding penalty late too. Uh, two on receivers. The the offensive line did a good job of not getting penalized in this game. No zero penalties on the offensive line. That's a that's a good game to score for me to start with. That you don't have somebody in, falling in a huge hole from that. Uh, Flacco was sacked one. Sorry, not Flacco. Uh, Jackson was sacked once, but he uh, that was really only one time. The other was really a running play that ended up as an S zero. I actually think it was a designed run, but uh, from the from the way it was blocked, we'll talk about that a little later. But uh, good game in terms of of not getting Lamar hit. Uh, unfortunately, on some of the run plays, he took a couple big shots. Uh, that I was not very happy. And that's usually not the way it goes. He's usually quarterback hits in the pocket. He takes a big hit on the run. He usually knows exactly how to go down. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of them I thought looked worse kind of initially and on the replay, it didn't look as bad, but you know, it, it still wasn't Josh Allen-esque. He wasn't kind of trying to bulldoze through there and, and mm-hmm. he wasn't playing into the contact. He just took a couple of hits. And so, you know, it's, you know, and especially when it's not the legs, I, I don't feel as bad about it. You know, that's where we've seen, some of the challenges with Lamar have been in the legs and I, Lamar, we took th- this was, it was all the chatter of the preseason, but Lamar looks legitimately bigger uh, mm-hmm. in the, in terms of the upper body this year. I, the, one of the pictures I saw after the game of Lamar and Bateman standing next to each other, Lamar just looked a lot stronger than Bateman. And not to say that Bateman, you know, not that he shouldn't be or that he wasn't before. It just seemed particularly distinct to me, given kind of what we've heard about him. Yeah, he, he, not, he was not uh, struggling with arm strength in this game, that's for certain. Uh, you do wonder, carrying 18 extra pounds, as we heard he's gained, whether that's going to affect him a little bit speed-wise, uh, maneuverability-wise, perhaps, probably more speed-wise. Uh, so since he's a guy that never really runs in top gear, uh, I'm, I'm kind of eager to see how he plays with this additional strength, whether it helps him a little bit in terms of uh, uh, some of his uh, ability to stiff arm and, and uh, maybe even just avoid contact or, or take a hit a little bit better with a little more muscle. And the Jets seemed all out in terms of trying to make sure that they weren't going to let Lamar get mm-hmm. a running game going on them. So, you know, it, good for the, you know, for all of the offseason narrative chatter about Lamar needing to throw the ball more, yada, 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 I think this is a perfect instance where, you know, it puts teams on notice, particularly teams that have a good defensive line. You know, when you've got Quinton Williams, who's getting pressure early in the game up the middle, you've got a guy like Carl Lawson, who's seen give the Ravens some trouble in his history. Um, there are good defensive line in the front. The front four were kind of the bigger concern for me coming into this Jets game. Yeah. And Lamar put the ball deep and out there in this game, which is what you want to see in response to that. Good throws, on the money throws, despite it being in weather. Um, that that's that's all you can ask for, really. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll hit on Lamar a little more as we as we go later in the show. Uh, but I agree. I thought it was uh, you know a fine effort from Lamar. He's clearly the best player on the field, uh, and and that's exactly what we need Lamar to be. And it, we we, we kind of want there to be no question about that. If Lamar, when Lamar is the best player on the field. He's really helping all 11 players with the things he can do. Now, this was not a game where they did made a, had a lot of reliance on the mesh point. Not a lot of reliance on read option. Not a lot of reliance on RPO. They were, they were pretty much 
uh, pulling the ball and, and passing much more regularly than throwing. I think that the Jets probably appropriately did not really respect the Ravens' run game the way they had. They respected Lamar, though. In fact, he had a he had one ample time and space opportunity. He's actually on the sack. When the sack was for zero, uh, first of all, it, it, it looked like for sure that was a design run, but basically the unblocked defensive end on the on the left offensive left side, the right defensive end, and was lost, I think, on that play, stared at Lamar for about two seconds waiting for him to move. He, he was sure he's going to get beat on that side, and, and Lamar took off in the other direction. And uh, based on the fact that he was not blocked and also the fact that they had some blockers downfield, I'm pretty sure that was that was some sort of play action where he was supposed to boot to the left and and that uh, didn't work out. And then it ended up being a sack. And that may be one where the Ravens, you know, call to the league and they say that's not a sack. It's a it's a it's a run for zero. And, uh, you know, that's that's not the way that uh, that should be. But they'll have to take a sack away from somebody and the league won't want to do that once they've uh, once they've given one. Yeah, you know, I, I also wonder a little bit about kind of the communication and getting all these guys on the same page. You've got Leonard Baum who missed some time during training camp. Um, you've got Moses, who is new. You had Kenyon Drake getting a ton of touches and him being mm-hmm. new. I don't know if you saw, I can't remember who posted this, but there is a clip of them in the huddle. Lamar makes the call and Kenyon Drake is shaking his head no. And I didn't know it. It's almost certain that he had, yeah, he, he just didn't know what the play call was. Um, and so, one, it's fascinating to me that the Ravens decided to just kind of trial by fire like Kenyon Drake is our best guy. Let's just throw him out there and do that, especially given all the complexity that everybody talks about what Greg Roman's offense is. And then, like you said, they unplugged, I don't know, 60% of that. I, I mean, we really didn't see the traditional kind of Ravens offense. Ricard was just kind of stuck back into Boyle's role, which we saw a lot of, I think, mm-hmm. during the Huntley time last year. It was a really redacted kind of offensive approach um, overall. And I think that goes in, into part of kind of how you evaluate this, but it's good catch-up time for some of these new guys. Yeah, very, that's a good way to put a redacted playbook there. <laughs> They're used to calling from. It was, uh, it was and, and you know, you, you just mentioned one of the really important things, which is Ricard in line as a blocker. Um, you really realize how much they miss Boyle or anybody, Tomlinson, anybody who can, who can play that, a uh, tight end that is in line as a blocker for them. It's so integral to the offense, and and they uh, uh, you know, they they can't have Ricard in both places. And he did a really good job as a pass blocker, as effectively a tight end or sixth offensive lineman, in line tight end, call him that. Um, but but that means he's not in the backfield, so you don't have that 49ers use check slash Kittle look or the 2019 Boyle slash Ricard look that the Ravens can can really use to uh, to run effectively. Let's uh let's jump into the pass rush a little bit. Uh, if if you do, you have anything more to say about that? I don't want to cut you off here. I, I, no, you know it's just I wish that Greg Roman and the offense would just give up on some of those looks and can see mm-hmm. that like like bring Ricard back into the backfield, use him in like his most optimal version. I get that he's not bad, you know, and like you said, he was solid as a pass blocker, but it's okay to say that's not our most optimal play call. So if that's how we're going to use Ricard, we're just not going to use him like that. And we're either going to give him less snaps and get some other different formation on the field, or we're going to default back to whatever that needs to look like. So I'm optimistic that they're just trying to install those things for the offensive line and for the rest of the offense, because Boyle will be coming back and will be part of that. And that's kind of why they hard push through that. But I would love to see less of kind of Ricard as that kind of like inline guy, especially when you're carrying more tight ends in the roster. Yeah, this was a a tough game 
to not have that available. If we remember the 49ers and the Seattle game, and you know, the, Ra- the Ravens were still able to run the football fairly effectively in 2019, doing that with, with having Boyle uh, in line and Ricard, even with the sloppy conditions. And this is a very good defensive line, as you mentioned. The strength is, the, is, is in the front six and front seven, front seven, really, if you want to call it that. Um, uh, it's really front seven all game because the Ravens almost played no 11. We'll get into that a little bit. But the uh, uh, the, the guys who, who were there, that that's the strength of the team. Uh, they do have decent corners. They, you know, they, they certainly have uh, sauce who, who's available, but they, but they really, uh, you, you need to have seven blockers, I think, to run the football effectively against the New York Jets. They're that good. Let's talk a little bit about the pass rush that Lamar faced in this game. So this is one of the things I think the Jets really helped the Ravens out here. Um, but they they rushed the passer with four 28 times and with five four times. So they never went all out with a six-man blitz. And they didn't use a whole lot of five. The Ravens, by, by the way, used uh, 32%, I believe, might have been 32.7, something like that, of five plus, including, I think, three sixes. So the Jets, very conservative rush here. I mean, this is a plain vanilla 4-0. They ran almost every play. Uh, we do the offensive, uh, sorry, the, uh, the 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 defensive scoring and we're, 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 sorry, it's the offensive line scoring when we're writing this down. You know, at first the very first thing I say is they show four, they bring it 4-0. And I, I found myself saying that like play after play after play. Yeah, well, and, you know, you you talked about it on the play where Lawson and I saw the same thing where he just stands there on the edge at the line of scrimmage and just just was waiting. It was the Jets were determined to kind of keep keep that look where they weren't going to overrush. They weren't going to give up a big lane. They weren't going to give up kind of some kind of angle for Lamar to kind of take off in the open field. And you also wonder whether the like the weather had something to do with that, because if Lamar is getting loose in the open field in those situations, he's going to put a spin move on or do something and make someone look silly. And then he's going to be off to the races. So, you know, I do wonder whether or not, you know, that played a factor, but they, they were, they were determined not to let Lamar run on them in this game. Um, and it created a lot of opportunities when they were, Ravens were able to get behind them for Lamar to have time and, and get those good looks. Yeah, absolutely. They got some, uh, some good extended plays in this game. They gave ample time and space to Lamar. Just, this is really important. Getting a three second pocket, I, I talk about what ample time space is every year, but let me go once more because it's been probably 10 months since anybody's heard me say it. But ample time space means the quarterback has a three-second pocket, and that includes no one who impedes his ability to step into that throw within a 30 degrees in either direction of the intended target. So nobody's got their hand on him. Nobody's right on top of him. Uh, within those first three seconds, and he can also step into his throw, which means the cone in front of him is additionally clear is the way I like to think of it. And giving him 13 out of 32 for 41%, that's a very high number by today's standards. As I've been doing this for many years, and I've been doing it since about 2009, um, what I've noticed is that there's fewer and fewer ATS opportunities as uh, coaches find ways to scheme pressure. Of course, the Jets have kind of still an old school pass rush where they're rushing four against you know, you're five and, and a lot of cases in the Ravens times six in this game. And they really, uh, you know, didn't go all out to get fast pressures against Lamar. And I think that was one of the things, even though Lamar early was not very successful, Lamar later, not only uh, did he do well in terms of getting some big throws off, he actually was getting some good p- throws off when he's under pressure, including both of the Duvernay touchdowns. Uh, he was under pressure. McCary actually gave up the pressure on both times. It was, you know, McCary, three pressures allowed this game. 
17-yard touchdown to uh, Duvernay, 25-yard touchdown to Duvernay, and the third one, they had another 17-yard gain. So he had a share of all three. Just he didn't have a full pressure in any case. But so uh, that was kind of a, a nice result for him, despite the not but playing great on those plays. I mean, Lamar's pocket presence in this game was impressive. Um, mm-hmm. His ability to, you know, he felt pressure really, really well. He climbed a pocket on the second Duvernay touchdown um, really aptly, used his eyes. It was a no-look pass. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, but he was looking completely in the other direction. You know, mm-hmm. apparently only Patrick Mahomes can throw no-look passes. Yeah. <laughs> like, Matt Stafford does it all the time. Lamar has done it. Like, all the, like a lot of the top quarterbacks do it. But Patrick Mahomes is the one guy that you'll hear on the on from talking heads is the guy that does it um but it was a no look pass from Lamar he just had a good sense of kind of where the pressure was coming from and and frankly when you have the extra blocker in there you know that goes to that is not just kind of his sense of what's going on around him right it's also the cerebral nature of kind of knowing where your blockers are knowing where you have to escape out of what those different pieces look like it's a good a really good progression to see from Lamar um you know in the from the the brain part of his game yeah, it's definitely a pocket he could have left on that play. He climbed. It was relatively open in front of him. And he's Lamar Jackson. I mean, he can put a one-two on pretty much anybody. So you think he can he can make a move on the first guy he faces. But he had 10 yards, I think, in front of him uh, that, that he could have had. Uh, instead, held held out. And I like your, your no-look explanation, but I kind of want to explain that to, to, to people. No-look, of course, does not mean you're not perceiving that receiver. What it means is you're kind of treating the field like an easy eye puzzle and you're doing a widening of your field of vision. Instead of looking narrowly at one spot, you're really trying to look widely, which means you're kind of expanding your slightly less in focus zone to the to the sides of your peripheral vision and making that throw accordingly. And by looking in the wrong place, you really trick defenders. I mean, they read the quarterback's eyes. They're, they're going all over it. Some uh, some defenders don't want their eyes read so badly that they will wear a you know a a uh, a visor to make sure that doesn't happen. But uh, but definitely that was a, that was a play. I thought Duvernay did a great job of presenting himself on the play, even though um, I think that, that there was Lamar did a good job of not letting another defender get there. That tra- that defender trailing Duvernay wasn't going anywhere else, and he was and he was not get not getting it done, obviously. And the attention was on it. Andrews was the guy that Lamar was generally looking in the direction of. And that's a thing that the Ravens need to continue to abuse. Using Andrews in like an intermediate high-low where he's right around the sticks where the other teams know that Lamar has a really strong tendency to want to go there. And then a willingness to throw a touchdown to Duvernay in that case is great information to put on film. It's going to change the way the teams have to defend him. It's going to open other things up. I mean, it's all... All, all the things that we saw in some of these passing touchdowns from Lamar were all the things that everybody is critical about Lamar about. Now, that, that was not any part of the narrative of what you hear after this game. And the fact that Lamar threw one less interception than Josh Allen or any of those kind of things, not any of what you're hearing about it. But Lamar answered, I think, a lot of those questions um, with how he approached this game and, and the way that they were able to perform, particularly given the lack of running game and particularly given the weather. Right. I, I, what you've just described there is is really good, and I maybe I may state it slightly differently. There's then when you when you look to the it could be the right hash, but it really could be anywhere on the field. So let's just pick a point, and you have your receiver who is the bait receiver, and we'll cut that that could be Andrews and this receiver, and we'll say the Ravens are in white, but you see white color white on your three jerseys, and in the in the middle is an uncommitted defender, usually a safety. 
that you have a chance to look off with your no look pass. You look straight at Andrews, you've got him. I mean, you're, you're that, that safety cannot not take the bet. Even if he studied a lot of film, unless he's Ed Reed, he's going to fall for that just about every freaking time in terms of knowing that. If he's Ed Reed, he might intentionally bait you one step and then go in the other direction. But uh, but really, there are very few safeties who are who are clever enough to basically pick on the fact that they're being no looked. It's extremely effective, and I, I, I'm with you. I think Lamar can exploit the hell out of that this year, given his over tendency to throw to Andrews in the past. Yeah, and and if they if they can, and I'm sure we'll talk about the running game here in a little bit. Once they get the running game going, and they can layer in play action, they can layer in kind of read options, zone zone kind of reads, all of those kind of things mixed into that. I, I mean, the upside. My biggest takeaway from this game and from Lamar was that even though they looked pretty good overall, the upside is still really significant. Like there's a lot of room to grow on top of this performance and the fact that they were kind of holding back and Lamar's kind of individual supreme performance was the thing to put them over the top. That gives me a lot of confidence about this team and in, in this year. Yeah. Very excited to, to see it. We talked about the two sacks. One of them, he got uh, forced up in the pocket by Moses, basically getting beat to the outside. So that one went all to all to Moses. But the other one, you know, as we said, designed run. Uh, I, I don't think the Ravens really care how many sacks are charged to charge to quote unquote Lamar. It doesn't really matter. Obviously, it's a run for zero. It's a sack for zero. Well, and the, the the play that he ran for the first down that wasn't one of his design runs was one of the most exciting plays of the game yes. where he was – that should have been a sack. I mean, and that's a sack, I don't know, 99% of the time in the NFL, mm-hmm. higher than 99% of the time. And then his run to pick up that first down, I mean, that was vintage Lamar, right? And I can't remember – I can't remember if that was in the rain or not. But uh, that was just one of those exciting moments where – when we were talking earlier about does Lamar still have it, the quickness is definitely still there. And that's the moment that you could see that it was still showing up on film. Yeah, I, I wanna see I wanna see two things from Lamar at his increased weight. I don't think he'll have any problem, and I think we did see some of this already in this game with even limited mesh usage, that he still has the same ability to read leverage on the opponent. So that's number one I wanna see. And 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 number two, I wanna see that he still has the same impact on that edge defender in terms of being able to manipulate him um, uh, given the um, uh, slower set of backs we have. That's been, that's big concern for me, even though they have a little more speed. You know, if you have Davis in the game, uh, even if you have Drake in the game, I don't think you have a real exceptional speed back. And so I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that, you, you know, we have older backs that are, that are here basically because they get, they understand the mesh point. They played in mesh point offenses. They've, you know, they've been been uh, uh, players maybe that can be trusted to do that right. We had a terrible preseason of basically bobbling every mesh opportunity they had. So, it, you know, it's one of these situations where we really wanted Lamar back in there. Uh, he made some good plays. You you can see how easy it is to get a um, a read option messed up by the high snap. A high snap messed up a messed up one of the plays. So that was a bummer. Uh, but but I thought that, uh, you know, generally speaking, I, oh, I'm sorry, I missed the other point I want to see from Lamar. The other thing I want to see from Lamar is the ability to um, cause a defender to move improperly based on his own step once he's made the pull. So we saw so much of that in 2019. We saw a lot of it in 2020. Um, we've seen a fair amount of it in 20, I'd say, in terms of taking his runs up the middle and less to the edge because they played mostly out of sidecar and not pistol. In sidecar, 
your back next to you becomes the edge threat on one side, usually jet motion, maybe counter, maybe other things will cause you to, to, to generate an apparent threat to the other side. And Lamar becomes a run up the middle guy. I, I, I want to see him be able to show that uh, on the edge, he can still make somebody miss again. And, and that's going to mean they're going to have to play some pistol, I think, to make that happen. Or, or, and I know that you and I, you and I had some some disagreement about how much the Ravens might use this, but boot, boot action under center, I think, is going to be the spot that okay. we're going to see something from Lamar. I mean, they they used it on first down twice in this game. Um, both were solid pickups that there was essentially no cloud flat from the kind of outside defender, so it allowed that receiver to have that option once. Once teams decide to start to suck that defender up to the line of scrimmage because they're worried about Lamar doing that, it's going to either let the receiver slip behind that and turn it into a much bigger game, or it's going to give Lamar a chance to put the move onto that defender. If he does, and the wide receiver is getting up the field to block the safety, there's going to be a huge opportunity for a big run on one of those up the sideline. And I think I think that teams don't, aren't ready to defend that yet. Um, and so I, it'll be interesting to see how much do the Ravens keep that in the pocket or does that become a heavier part of the scheme of what they want to try and do? I think people have heard me say enough times, and this is what you're referring to, obviously, that the less mobile you are as a quarterback, the more effective you are as a boot quarterback because that edge defender isn't completely keyed on you. But that's that's our difference of opinion there. The first time he did get booted out to the right, it was a level zero throw too. And that's that's the last option. It shouldn't be the first Obviously, I, I don't I couldn't tell exactly how he made his reads down the field there because it looked like there was time to throw it. I, I think it yeah. was scripted. I, I thought yeah. I thought the entire first quarter was one hundred percent scripted. Um and that's why it looked so ridiculously stagnant because it was mm-hmm. you know, and the first one was the Bateman motion on the play from left to right as well. And if I if I'm recalling, um or maybe that was the second one. But one of them was Bateman motion on the play. He comes across the play. And I think it was just a design for Lamar to throw that, for them to get that in rhythm, for them to run that play that way. And so they were just either putting it on film or just getting used to it. Lamar has obviously not taken a lot of snaps under center, not done a lot of the boot action like that. Um, but my recollection of both those plays is Lamar had a ton of green grass around him. That he got out wide in a hurry and that you're right, that if the first read then becomes that deeper throw, there are going to be shots to be had. There, they're going to be, you know, and if in a sail route, right, or even if you do use like Andrews, for example, on a deep crosser, is coming across there at kind of mm-hmm. like that 15 yard range, which is really like no man's land for a lot of defenders against Lamar, because then you're too far away from the first down and line of scrimmage to kind of cut off angles for Lamar, but you're too deep to kind of effectively be able to handle Andrews. If there's a guy above that, that that's just going to be a devastating play to me. Yeah, almost always your safety will have been dragged out of that play by the deep route. Almost always. So you're 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 going to rarely have an opportunity. You, you may get a. I guess it's possible that a single high safety is going to get dragged by Andrews on the middle level of that boot. But it's but it, more than likely that safety is already going to broken on the deep route, and uh, it, they ought to because that's where that's where the, a lot of the fear is on those plays is that is that the deep route goes up and high chance for either pass interference or or a completed pass on on those boots. And I think I saw Isaiah Likely in line as the second tight end with Andrews at least three times in this game. One of them resulted mm-hmm. in that hole. He's got he's just gotta stop he's just gotta stop being so grabby, especially when the run gets by him. Mm-hmm. That that's just super easy to clean up in terms of technique. But the Ravens used both Andrews and Likely on opposite sides in line a couple different times. And that's where I you know, your your talk about sidecar versus pistol, 
I think it's represented in the same way under center there, where you have the advantage of being able to go left or right. If likely develops kind of like what his option is to be an impact and you're in 12 personnel there or even 13 personnel. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of options that, that that's going to create under center, I think. Yeah, it's they they are look they are playing in this initial thing, and, they, and there are a lot of reasons why this kind of evolved during the game. Whether the lead in the game that they had lead to, led to a lot of heavier personnel groups, but uh, boy, this Ravens team looks like a team that really wants to play with fewer wide receivers, and uh, it, we'll we'll definitely want to get into that a little bit later. All three of those touchdown passes were lighter rain times. So it really was a big deal. I, I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. I know I've mentioned it on other shows, but it was it's uh, it, it certainly was true. Um, the TD debatement is worth a little bit of specialized discussion here. Now, it was a 59-yard in the air throw in terms of the downfield distance. Toss another 12 going from right to left and if you think about this as a right triangle, uh, then you, you you do that. It's over 60 yards in the air. And I know he did. I think it was a 65 he had last year against Denver. This is still one of the longest throws of his career. Yeah, you're 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 schooling everybody out there on uh, the Pythagorean theorem. Ken. There you go. And, and, and you uh, knew what it was. You learned it in seventh grade. Giving <laughs> yeah. giving everyone a refresher, but that but it's absolutely right. And that throw was spot on the mark too um you know and obviously you know Bateman was wide open I, I haven't gotten a chance to see the all 22 I don't know that it's been released on NFL plus so I, it's hard to say where Bateman was when Lamar released the ball but given how far the bar ball traveled he had to let go of that ball probably right around or right before the um the Satan Bateman crosses the face of the safety that was kind of mm-hmm. the top over guy that has to be there right otherwise the throw is deep into the end zone and probably too far to, to be able to end up making that connection. So really, uh, to me, the thing that I liked about that throw was the anticipation of Lamar. Um, and Gabe and I talked about this in the situation room a little bit. Lamar has been hesitant to throw guys open in the past. There were a few mm-hmm. times where I felt like he overthrew Miles Boykin on on like deep post routes or go routes into the end zone because he waited till he had that separation and didn't trust him to get the separation in the first place. Now, whether that's Lamar learning that that's what he needs to do in terms of approach, or whether that's just trusting Bateman more than he trusted Boykin, or whatever that looks like, either iteration of that is really great to see. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. When he's even, he's leaving. He's got to learn that role. Sometimes, you know, on the long throws like that, it's even before then. If, if you see, you know, oftentimes a safety won't have even made a step or he's make a step in anticipating a different move. And and uh, clearly what was so great about that is that Bateman was open by a mile. First of all, the Ravens kept seven in to block against four on that play. So they had two guys in, Oliver and Ricard were both in on the right side to help block. Well, you better be able to block up seven to seven for four on it for an ATS opportunity. They did. And this is one of those rare throws, usually deep balls, by the way, because of the arc on the football, uh, typically have to be thrown earlier than you would think. So those, those balls are released, you know, two seconds, 2.1, 2.2 seconds in, you hit the receiver, like there was a, there's a specified point, like 41 or 42 yards down the field where you're supposed to hit a sideline receiver. Okay. So this is much longer than that, first of all. So it's, so it's like 17 yards longer. So right there, you need extra time for the combination of the ball in the air and you waiting to release that ball for additional 
evolution of the play. So it probably took a full three seconds to get rid of it. I know in charting it as an ATS play, I didn't have to do anything in terms of counting clicks. It was it was a no doubt about it. Uh, he was back there for for plenty of time. Well, uh, and and Lamar allows you to you know he in this you know we talk a lot about how Lamar impacts all the rest of what's happening on the field. Yeah. Even when you're in a heavy package like that, where you only put two guys out into routes, you still see the defense end up getting sucked up closer towards the line of scrimmage, right? They don't want to be so spaced out that if Lamar gets loose, that he's going to essentially kind of be on a jailbreak when he gets out there. So everybody has to stay a little bit tighter. And the guys on the outside that might be might drift back, right? Like if that is a Joe Flacco instead of Lamar Jackson, the they, they were in, it looked like they were in quarters or some kind of deep cover too, right? So even in either iteration, the guy all the way to the outside sideline might drift back against Flacco because you've got so many guys blocking and there's no kind of other route for them to worry about. So then they just, they just keep drifting back because they're looking at what's going on in front of them and they don't have to worry about that. Or at least an alert corner or an alert player in that circumstance might be doing that. Lamar is almost mm-hmm. always going to suck that player up towards him. Okay, you're talking about an alert corner on the outside who, uh, okay. If they're in quarters, staying deeper, right? Because okay. there's, there were only two guys in routes, right? It was basically only Bateman and one other guy, or th- there were three guys in routes, yeah. There, everything was else. Everything else was up tight there, right? right. And so if, if you're in a void, and again, I got to go back and look at the film, but if you're in a void there, you you're you have more freedom to drift against a different quarterback. But yeah. when when your strategy coming into the week, the week is, and this is what it was for the Jets, constantly making sure that you're not going to let Lamar run, your brain might not be in the right frame of mind and the right space for that, and that lets you have three guys in a route and still be able to throw a guy completely open like that. Obviously, Bateman being a big part of that with his skill as well, though. There was something else on that play that I kind of want to mention, and it just kind of occurred to me is that um, Lamar didn't break the pocket. And one of the things that happens when you break the pocket, the rules change on the pass rush. And and one of them is, is that the closest guy on that side that the pocket gets broken on has to immediately run right at the quarterback and, and try and force the issue. Well, uh, that didn't happen. And so whoever was left, and there had to be guys left because I, there was only four rushing. Oliver and Ricard were at the line of scrimmage. So you know there had to be short zone guys there who who would have had that responsibility. Well, Lamar didn't force that to happen, which meant it remained a four-on-six pass rush situation. Sorry, four-on-seven pass rush situation for that entire time. There would have been a chance, I suppose, for a player like Oliver or Ricard to slip out late if that had if that had not worked out. But uh, probably they'd already kind of committed themselves to to uh, uh, to the throw to Bateman fairly early in that. But it, it, it certainly worked out. All right, we didn't see a lot of running from Lamar. Four for nineteen, excluding the kneels. Of course, he really did have that highlight first down that was was one of the really sweet Lamar Jackson is back kind of plays. Uh, it didn't run poorly or anything. And, you know, even Lamar taking sacks is Lamar really taking a taking a zero or two-yard loss trying to make a run play happen. And so all of those things are good. I mean, if you're Lamar Jackson and you take that two-yard sack that Moses forced him up in the pocket, you're, you're moving up into the pocket because you think you can escape the pocket or you think you can still get a pass off. But either way, you're, you're limiting the damage. If you Joe Flacco, you throw that ball away because you don't want to take the hit, don't want to risk the fumble, don't want a lot of things because there's no upside of you running the football. But if, if, you're, if you're Lamar Jackson, there's always a lot of upside to you still holding the football. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, that's it all just goes back to Lamar 
Lamar made every, even though we didn't see a huge running performance and, you know, we didn't see a ton of yards, Lamar just makes everybody on the field around him better. And that's, that's a perfect example. Really is just uh, outstanding. A lot of fun to see. Uh, let's talk a little scheme, I think. And, uh, and uh, one of the things that was cool, I thought, the first thing I noticed was that if you take the tight ends and the fullback and a sixth offensive line, which they didn't have a sixth offensive lineman in this game, divide by the total number of snaps. And I'm just using game book snaps for this because it's easier. Uh, not the not the plays that did not excluding penalties or kneels or anything like that. Um, 2.27 tight ends and fullbacks per play. Now I want to put that, frame that up for you. So that means effectively you're playing more than 12 or 21 personnel on every snap, on the average snap. Well, it means you're playing with less than two wide receivers per snap. They didn't quite have one running back. I think it was 51 out of 53, or maybe it's 54 to 56 or something like that. They had they had a running back on the field, but they, they also only played four snaps of 11. Now, the 2.27 of the heavies per play, their highest last year was 1.96 against the Chargers. So this is a big, beefy difference in terms of, of the things. And the four 11 personnel snaps, 11 personnel is the most common NFL formation, the most common bar none. Uh, it's what everybody plays. It is the basic for the, why the standard nickel is the, is the basic defensive package. And they had only four of that in 50, whatever snaps it was, uh, the lowest percentage by far in the NFL. It was it was Dan Reese had this on our by the numbers show, but it was about seven percent or some such. Whereas the next lowest in the entire league was twenty four percent eleven. Yeah, I didn't love this part. <laughs> I, I was I was very happy with the performance of the Ravens offense in this game for a lot of the reasons that we talked about for Lamar answering questions, the verticality of their passing game, all important things that are going to be needed at some point in the in the year. But this part was just, I don't know, felt like pure stubbornness on Greg Roman's part, right? Like it was like the, we had four tight ends that were going to be on the roster. This is what we were going to do with the offense. I don't care how it looks. We're coming out in the first quarter and they're going to be two or three heavy guys on every single play. It's just what we're going to do. And, that, you know, I mentioned that I felt that Really, the first quarter and a half, I felt like were all scripted plays. It, I think that that bleeds into this same result of what we had, where this is the most extreme version of that, that the Ravens needed to get these snaps in. They needed to do it safely. They wanted the comfort of what all that looked like. And so they just came into the game and they said, because it's raining in particular, this is just what we're going to do, and we're going to lean into it, and that's going to be okay, and, and we're going to trust our defense, especially once it seemed like the defense, even on the first few drives, had the upper hand they didn't feel the urgency to kind of do anything crazy and risk putting the defense in a bad position, risk a turnover, risk kind of giving up points that they need, needed to give up. And so I'm going to leave that in that in that category and assume that that's why they did it and that this yeah. is going to be a unique situation in a combination of weather and coming out on the year. And hopefully we don't see a whole lot of this again. Okay. I, I'm going to take the other side of that. Good of the show, but also because I really believe it. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say that anytime that the Ravens do this and they turtle up and they basically sacrifice EPA in exchange for getting the game over with, it's usually because they got a big lead. And I'm happy with it. I'm happy for them to do a lot of it. Now, only four times, obviously, that had to do with the scripted plays. It had to do with the weather. It had to do with all the things you're talking about. But why they finished the game that way is because they didn't have to put 11 personnel on the field. That's a good thing. 
So we, so if we, there are two things I want to see a ton of from this Ravens team this year. One is few receivers on the field. The other is a ton of dime because both of them mean they got the lead. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, though, because I think you still have to, like, at some point you have to protect your team from not getting bulldozed over by the defense because they know exactly what's coming, too. And so, you know, and th- and that's why you had you have to at times get vertical. And the Ravens' run game in the first half was awful. The re- run game in the second half was okay, but in the first half, it was awful. Um, yeah. And so it's pretty infuriating to watch jumbo packages get run out there, the execution be really poor, no creativity in terms of the approach for the run game and still continue to bang your head against that wall over and over and over again. Um, and it, they opened it up a lot more once they got into the second half. And that's where the success started to come in. Um, but if this is the approach that they take in every game, I'm not, I, I'm not going to be a happy camper. And I think that there are going to be times where they face much better offenses than the one that they did in this instance. And they're going to fall behind. Well, I, and and they will, and and when that happens, of course they they'll have to they'll have to do two things. They'll probably have to go stick with base packages on defense because the other team won't be throwing it as much, and they'll have to bring in a lot of receivers to to do it. But anyway, I I, I know we basically want the same thing. The question is only on this margin of plays on these plays that are kind of in neutral situations, if you want to call it that way, where win probability isn't extreme in either situation that you would like to see more receivers in the game. And I would basically agree with that. I I would like to see less jumbo under normal, non-windy, non-rainy situations. I would love to see that. And and I would also, you know, I, I would, I guess I would say like getting the score up higher, more quickly earlier in the game is is kind of what I want to see with that and getting Lamar like I want to see these big turtle packages and I want to see Huntley in there in those games I want this to look like what it did in 2019 where Lamar played basically a game and a half less than the schedule dictated because he was coming out of those games you know mm-hmm. late late in the third quarter early in the fourth quarter he was irrelevant to the outcome of, the, of those games I would much rather see that reduce you know if you're buying into this idea that keeping starters off the field keeps them healthier, right? And we if that's what we're seeing with Boyle, Dobbins, Stanley, Peters, there are a lot, you know, Bowser, right? Like Edwards, you know, if that's what we believe, then run up the score and get your guys off the field. Get the backups in and reduce the opportunities for them to get hurt. Yeah, I, I completely am on board with that. And I, this was even a game where they could have made a change, you know, up the way they were. Uh, they they certainly didn't do anything offensively, and the and the the Jets were running at the clock. But that fourth quarter, you know, they were up twenty one to start it, so uh, that would have been a time to to start thinking about uh, getting somebody else in the ball game, maybe even another lineup lineman. Falele wasn't active, but that would have been an, an interesting place to to get him some some live fire. Well, and uh, I think not playing in the preseason was one of the reasons why it didn't seem like there was any consideration of getting the starters kind of out of the game. But I do think that if the Ravens are up by 21 to fourth quarters of other games, we do see different kind of changes there. All right. Uh, you know, one of the things in terms of the immutability, and we've had some questions come up about adaptability of Greg Roman this week and whatnot, in particular against with Miami coming up and their 40 cover zero blitzes they threw at the Ravens last year. Uh, that they frankly, the Ravens did not adapt very quickly to that thing. In terms of an in-game thing, if you want to point to the biggest failure, probably of the Greg Roman era, that that's probably it in terms of not being able to adjust to it. But it's also something where um, I, I think the Ravens will go into that game and we're going to see the other half of this amulet, the other half of this playbook. 
that we didn't see uh, here in terms of just deep shot after deep shot. In fact, if I had to make a bet, I'd say his A dot in this next game is going to be pretty damn high again. It was like over 12 yards this week, but I think it'll be, uh, you know, that could even be higher in terms of wanting to get a lot of deep shots off uh, to try and take advantage if if uh, if Miami tries uh, a lot of blitzes and a lot of uh, uh, these simulated pressures where they bring bring six and drop two kind of thing. Yeah, well, and it's really, you know, the offensive line and the injuries there and kind of who is playing left tackle and do we see Stanley come back? And, you know, if it's fringy for him to come back, do you, you know, is this one of those games based on what you saw from how Miami approached it before that they do say, okay, we want you back because we are concerned that we need the intellect and we need the game smarts and we need the talent from our left tackle in this instance to make sure that we don't let that end up burning us. I, I mean, that's that's a very valid point. I, I mean, one of the things that, that made Cover Zero so effective against the Ravens, uh, it, not just so effective against the Ravens, why it's, why it's effective against any mobile quarterback is part of the mobile quarterback's ability to escape is to the outside. You know, and, and, and you basically can put one more rusher than they can stop on any play. If you just think about it, take out the five eligible receivers out of the play. Let's say they're all in the pattern. You got five guys and if they decide soft man coverage, they want to place five on five, then they have six defenders they can bring and you have five guys to block with. And that means somebody's going to somebody's gonna get to the quarterback fairly quickly. They did more than that. They dropped guys out of the middle of the line and they, and they had them drop into these shallow zone coverages. Adam Butler, a nose tackle, 18 drops to coverage in the last time they played Miami. Just incredible. We saw Michael Pierce drop twice to coverage. Clayus Campbell dropped three times to coverage in those games. That's a lot. But Adam Butler, you know, he's not a young guy either, I don't think, anymore. And and, uh, and 18 drops to coverage, just amazing from that single game last year. Uh, I think that the Ravens will will basically need to try and identify the matchups they want immediately. And, and as Lamar comes to the line of scrimmage, they'll be needing to figure out which vertical do I want to go to right away. The other, you know, and I, I don't know if you've ever played a lot of Madden. I was really into Madden about like five or six years ago. Um, I was like, a, I was like a top like 500 ranked Madden player. So, nice. you know, the approach one is that you can take those vertical shots, right? Cause they're going to, and, and Miami likes the press man corner approach and like they're going to bring them up and they're going to attack it that way. But the other way is that you just run it right down their throats. When you have got a defensive tackle whose instinct, is to get back on his heels and to run back into coverage, then you can call a draw and you can aggressively block those guys and you can just take them right out of the play. Um, so there are different, I mean, there are different ways and options that the Ravens can go at that. If, if Miami does something, I, I think 40 times in a game, and usually, you know, Rep Madden is a good reference to this. By the time someone does 40, something, someone to you 40 times in a game, usually can make an adjustment, whether you're like <laughs> Roman good or not, right? I think it was crowd noise. I think it was short week. I think it was lack of preparation. The Ravens get all of those reversed in this instance where that you have a different coach in Miami. You've got the Miami coming on the road. You've got the silent count and you've got kind of the upper hand where the Ravens have like this game, I think was is somewhat circled on the calendar because of all of the yeah. fuss of what came from it. And like, the thing that drives me the most crazy about the narrative is everyone's like, well, after the Miami game, everybody figured Lamar out. And it's like, Lamar had one and a half games that he played after the Miami game. That was it. The, the remainder of those games were played by Tyler Huntley. So this narrative that like Miami, you know, like the Chargers did in the playoff game, figured out the playbook of how to stop Lamar. I think, I think you're right in the sense that the Ravens are 
going to come out and try and run up the score against Miami because they want to put they want to put that to bed. And I think that Lamar is going to want to put that. I hope Lamar is going to want to put that to bed. Yeah, I, I do too. I think I, I think it could be very fun. And and you're right. I mean, all all of the prep elements are in the other direction in, in this game. And and uh, I would agree that crowd noise was a factor. Uh, they were they were quite loud, and hopefully they give Tua some trouble uh, in this game. And the Ravens defense has a chance to make a, a young quarterback who's still kind of mistake prone make some mistakes because this is a uh, uh, a defense that's certainly going to be based. It looks like on on their ability to generate turnovers should be a. I, I, I'm seeing dry weather reports for the weekend so far. It's early, so you never know if, if this will quite do it. But, uh, yeah, there should be a better chance for, for the Ravens to play uh, Ravens football. And it'll be interesting to see if the run action makes its way back in this game. Because, you know, getting back to the Jets, the run action was nowhere <laughs> nowhere to be seen, um, you know, in terms of what the Ravens wanted to do in terms of in their approach. And so it'll be really interesting to see if that's weather related, it was scheme and personnel related for the Jets. Um, or is it something the Ravens are, you know, trying to find a way to evolve away from early in the season so they can cut it loose late in the season, which I, I'm actually okay and on board for that idea. I, I Heading into the 21 season, I really wanted to see the Ravens spread out more throw the ball a lot more early, kind of do what they did late in the year, but do that early in the year and then evolve back in the other direction. Obviously the running backs, there are a lot of things in 21 that stop that from happening. But I like this idea that you can't be the same thing in weeks one to four as you ultimately are going to be weeks 16, 17 and into the playoffs. Because if you are in the same sense, the teams are going to figure you out when you do the same thing 40 times in a row, the same kind of thing is going to happen. So I'm okay with not putting it on film now, starting to build your tendencies in the other direction and then potentially bringing it back later if that's what they want to do. Yeah, most uh, most advanced scouts talk about a four-week cycle they work with in terms of, of uh, scouting other teams. So it's, it's very valid. And, you know, if you look at it, they play their divisional games at the end of the year, and that'd be a great time if you wanted to switch strategies and be ready to switch strategies that you, that, that you should do that. Now, there is a, an element to that that I'm not real crazy about is that you can't figure out your injuries at this point you know, to, to, to know that you're going to have the right personnel to do that later. Um, by the fact that they're resting Boyle, maybe they say, hey, we really want to keep our read option game under wraps, at least to exactly how we're going to run it until we get Boyle back, because it can be most effective with him and Ricard both on the field. And with Dobbins and Edwards, two guys yeah, that sure. have been in the system, know it better, that are better run. I, I mean, and Kenyon Drake looked fine in this game, but, you know, it wasn't shades of Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman, but it was much closer to that than it was Dobbins and Edwards. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it was, it, it, it wasn't what we want in terms of, uh, you know, high yards per touch. I, I blame a lot of things, the weather, you know, it's, you got to give the jets credit. They, they have a fine defensive front that can, that can make you, uh, have to work for yards. And, and, uh, you know, Mosley is still a pretty good player. I think, uh, we've, he didn't have a great year last year, but any, and he basically had two years off before then one for COVID and one for injury, um, but, but it, you know, their front seven, definitely the strength of that, of that team. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about set and chip blockers. So they had, they had used 18 eligible blockers to set or chip 13 and 5.56 per play. That's a reasonably low number, by the way. Uh, a lot of that's a function of it being a heavy four man rush for the, uh, jets. So you don't need to keep in a lot of, uh, people to block and, and some of chip blocking involves, um, you know, making sure that there's you 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 either either wait to deal with a, a blitz, wait for a, a blitz to be dealt with, 
or wait to decide if a guy's getting beat on the edge so you can chip there. And, and sometimes you can make a chip, sometimes you don't have to. And, and you go out. So we didn't see a lot of chip blocking in this game, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, only two times, and it was Drake both times, did a running back have to pick somebody up. So really very little uh, blitz pickup in this game, and, and that will change this week, we presume, in terms of, of uh, what might be necessary, or at least we worry that it might be. Could be a completely different game plan, right? They could find yeah, some and, new way. <laughs> and it's different It's different coaching in Miami as well, you know, and, and you don't have, you know, Raheem Moore, Morris, Morris, Moore, uh, why, why, am I, why am I blanking on his name? Um, one of them is the player, one of them is the coach. <laughs> anyway, he, I think he was, no, Brian Flores is the name that I'm trying to recall here, is a, yeah. a very smart defensive guy who's in Pittsburgh now um, and I think was a big part of their implementation in that game and doing what they did to take away Lamar. And so with him gone, are, is it even going to be at all similar? It's not a guarantee, um, you know, and when you look at the offense and what they did on offense in, in week one, it was totally different from Miami from what they did last year as well. Right. But I would agree with with some of your early comments that that we really want to see the Ravens uh, put Miami into a chokehold earlier. A lot of the problems with the Ravens in this last game was Miami did not have any incentive to get over their cover zero blitz because they, they, were, they were, had the Ravens uh, down in the game. And it's working. You want me to stop that? Really? <laughs> well, prove it to me. And and the Ravens couldn't really get it done until they were way, well down in the game. And then it, uh, it was too late, obviously. Uh, let's see. I think we talked about Ricard enough in terms of the extra blocks. Oh, yeah. Now, this was important in terms of who was getting help on the offensive line. Almost all the help was on the right side. So Ricard lined up all but one time or all but one time where he stayed in on pass blocking was on the right side. Uh, Moses got a lot of extra help in this game and uh, it was something that uh, he, you know, he certainly benefited from. Uh, I am trying to figure out what this next thing written on my notes is. Scale back run action considering just 13 plays, including a pull among 76. I'm, I'm, that must be a leftover comment or something from a previous game because I do not understand what I wrote there. <laughs> so uh, I think the Ravens only had what 50, 54 plays. On, 50 yeah, so it's, so it's not this. This has got to be a different game. <laughs> so, the uh, what the things we do to make things a little bit easier ourselves from from week to week to when, we, when you do a similar thing is is difficult in terms of of uh, making a mistake occasionally. Well, I'll tell you what, Jordan, we're going to come back in in uh, on the second part of this show and talk about the offensive line and some individual players uh, before the, before that because this is going to be released as a separate pod tell folks where they can find your work online yeah we are um, at filmstudybaltimore.com where with you ken um it, i am a co-host with gabe ferguson um on the raven situation room um you guys can check us out on spotify um, i'm on twitter at raven sick room gabe's at gabe Fergie. we'd love to get a follow we're going to try and break down games and uh get updates to you guys on kind of some of the big plays and some of the things that we saw during those games that, that were important. And we'll get those out on Sundays when uh, we're not off celebrating in Las Vegas uh, after a big win. Yeah, so lucky to have you guys uh, here on the, uh, on the website. Uh, great, great show and really worth a follow for both of them. Uh, make sure you do that. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.